Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Ulrich Gardu, president and CEO of America's oldest luxury accessories brand, Mark Cross. Ulrich has spent 25 years in leadership positions at luxury brands, including Burberry, Celine, and Temperley London. Along the way, he's earned a reputation for revitalizing heritage brands and building global luxury lifestyle brands. I wanted to ask him about the evolution of the luxury industry and the strategies he's bullish on now. Welcome to you, Ulrich. Thank you, Jill. Great to be here. So glad you're here. Let's jump into 2018 when you joined Mark Cross. What was the draw to this company? Amazing to having worked uh, during my career on brand positionings out of England with Burberry, out of France with Celine and LVMH, and, and then the Danish um, George Jensen, and then having this opportunity to work with, as you said, the oldest American um, luxury accessory brand, um, and seeing a great opportunity to, to revive and reposition Mark Cross to become a leading global uh, player within the luxury um, lifestyle industry. Yes. What was the brand's reputation as you saw it? And what were those opportunities to take it to the next level? Well, as you may know, Mark Cross had been sleeping for, for quite a few years. Um, it was more or less closed down back in the 19s. Then an entrepreneur came in about 12 years ago and did a great job in, in starting to revive the brand again in women's accessories and very much driven by one uh, of our icon bags, the Grace bag. Um, but I saw a real opportunity in, in creating more of a lifestyle positioning, enlarge the collection, not only in women's accessories, but also relaunch men's uh, that we have done last year um, and create more of a gifting destination for uh, top class uh, quality and American luxury. So I know you launched men's next year. I wanted to get into that, but also I've heard various uh, tales from luxury brands about the experience they've had since March 2020. Would love to hear it from you. Were people truly investing in these more kind of classic investment pieces? Did the whole uh, pandemic fiasco hurt the brand? Well, of course, we, we had a rough ride uh, when the pandemic hit um, and we kind of went from this uh, survival to contingency planning uh, to then, I like to call it thrival mode. So I think it was very much uh, our job to start thinking of the opportunities that this pandemic also have created for the industry and for the luxury consumer and, and look at the, the kind of post-pandemic era uh, and what was needed to, to get executed during the pandemic to be ready for that. Yeah, so that mean upgrading your e-commerce site. What were your sales channels prior? Well, we were, as you may know, we were very focused on wholesale when I joined a couple of years ago. 100% um, of our, our business really came from, from the wholesale channels. Today, we are more at a 50-50 split between wholesale and our directly operated channels. Um, and we have been working very hard on servicing the customer, obviously, both online and offline. What percentage of your customers are in the U.S. versus international? I know you um, had some pop-up experience in the Asian market. Where's your customer? 
So in our home market, um, that represents about 65% of our customers today. We see uh, an ever-growing uh, market share from Asia that we are very excited about. And we have been focusing on our especially mainland China uh, market positioning and how to cater to the consumer out there. And then, of course, the key European countries uh, that are continuously um, great opportunities for the brand. Well, you talked about um, meeting the customer. Would love to hear your take on what the luxury customer expects. As you look to better serve them, what do they want from the brand? What are the, I guess, the new table stakes in terms of offering them luxury service? Well, I think the, the pandemic in, in many ways have accelerated some interesting consumer ships that were already in motion, um, such as the growing antithetic towards fashion-related waste. Um, and in doing so, we want to elevate the consumer's expectations for transparency of um, the cross purpose-driven sustainable actions. And that's something that we've been very much focusing on. Um, and I believe the consumer going forward um, is more and more aware of the investment pieces, let's call that, um, that, they are, that they are buying uh, from Mark Cross, the longevity of a luxury product, um, as well as an, an authentic uh, storytelling. Yes, I know that you were one of the early players in terms of luxury brands bringing resale or vintage in-house. When did you launch that and what's been the experience so far? So we launched our in-house vintage uh, website uh, back in fall uh, 19 um, and had been very successful in, in kind of closing our own ecosystem. So we offered to the customers to bring in their Mark Cross vintage bags that we will do an authentication on, uh, a, a proposal in terms of buying the product, and then we are putting it up for resale again, or there may be certain products that we are keeping for, for our own archives. But mostly we are bringing the products back into circulation to give them a, a kind of new life with a second, second-hand um, proposition. I know that a lot of, um, there are some luxury brands who are, they want to keep their distance. Maybe they see resale as, um, I don't know, a competitor. Uh, they don't want to get involved, basically. They want, they want nothing to do with it. Why do you think that is? Or what's been your take on resale? It's just a win-win or how do you see it? I think there are quite a few, obviously, very successful um, third-party partners out there uh, that have resale platforms. We work with some of them, but I don't see any reason why a brand uh, shouldn't kind of own their own destiny. I think we are in the best uh, position to authenticate a product um, as well as to put the right price tag on it, potentially service it if, if repairs needed or maintenance is needed, and then put it up for resale. Um, I see it only as a win-win. We have been very successful uh, in acquiring a new customer, uh, sometimes a younger customer who doesn't necessarily have the um, 
the money to spend on a on a full priced uh, new product, but that will start buying into the brand through vintage products or who just from a styling point of view really enjoys uh, that uh, unique vintage look that that a Mark Crossback uh, can have. Are you actively targeting Gen Z and and what does it take to acquire that customer? We're looking very much at at um, I call them both uh, millennials, Henrys, and Gen Z. Um, you know, millennial Henrys being high owners, not rich yet, um, that are very prominent um, in in countries with rising economies, uh, such as as China. Um, and we are very much looking at at targeting both of these groups. But the beauty about Mark Cross is really to have a, a kind of ageless. Uh, approach to the marketplace um, and to really create um, high quality, beautiful investment pieces um, with with longevity. And and it's great to see that the young generation to a higher, higher extent kind of enjoys that value proposition that we're offering. And I'm sure they Love your sustainability play. What can you tell me about how you're marketing to to everyone? What's your marketing mix? Where are you investing uh, advertising dollars? So we are obviously investing heavily into the digital sphere and and understanding how to uh, also communicate to these millennial Henrys and and Gen Zs, um, and and working on ways how to service them uh, both online and offline. So we have done quite a few initiatives that really, again, has been accelerated um, through the needs of of the pandemic period, uh, such as hooking up with a great company uh, called Hero that really gives the the personal shopping experience, um, both physically and remotely, and allows your sales associates to interact with the customers digitally. and to personalize the the shopping experience at a distance as well. Um, Another partner we have worked with is Tushi. That is um, a great um, kind of delivery arm that bring in store services directly to consumers, uh, again, with a fully personalized delivery service. Uh, So finding ways of uh, servicing the customer both online and offline has obviously been very important during the pandemic and will continuously be um, be important in an omnichannel environment. Yes, I know Hero very well. Tell me about the second one, the delivery service. Is that um, what does that personalized experience look like? What are they offering? So they offer a, a trained delivery person that knows the brand and that can deliver um, your order together potentially with other products that could be styled together. Uh, It can be a question of sizes. Uh, So if you order a medium size, you know, the person could potentially come and and show you also a larger size and a smaller size. Um, So it's really offering a a trained uh, brand representative, let's call it, to come to your to your home or to your office wherever you're having your product delivery and communicate and have that uh, opportunity of of potentially upselling and servicing uh, the customers to the to the best extent 
That's really awesome. I hadn't heard of that. Um, when you sit, talk about investing in digital, is it more about um, investing in kind of technology partners, or um, is that mean? Does that mean advertising on Facebook and Instagram and those usual usual platforms? It's acquiring customer also digitally. So so yes, we do invest more now in in um, social media, for example, and um, promoting the brand there. Uh, but it's also finding these new innovative uh, digital partners to service the customers to the best possible extent. What is your take on uh, the luxury conglomerates right now? Um, it seems that they're growing, um, acquiring companies, expanding. Uh, anyway, it feels like they're moving fast and furiously. It seems all of a sudden, but I, I don't think that they've been standing still. But are they a threat or where do you see yourself in the market in comparison to um, their brands, I guess? <laughs> it's kind of a yes and no answer um, from, from me. Yes, because I think the competitive advantages of the conglomerates is, is obviously there, um, especially from a negotiation point of view, whether we are talking about real estate um, marketing tools and, and cutting the, the, the best possible deals with, with a level of, of high scale and volume. Um, but on the other side, I also think that there's a bigger and bigger opportunity uh, for a true elite luxury consumer who wants a selective product offering that is not necessarily available to everybody everywhere. Um, and and that is not necessarily worn by everybody as well. And, and we see, for example, in China, a real um, opportunity with, with an elite uh, luxury customer, um, as I just described it. That's so interesting, because we talk a lot about kind of luxury as a whole and the pivot from being exclusive to inclusive. Do you think that um, a, a true luxury brand or product, there some level of exclusivity it needs to exist. How would you describe that? I think there has been a, a real change of, you know, how luxury has evolved over the past, say, 20, 25 years, um, very much because of the digital evolution. So before it was very much about a selective distribution. Uh, but obviously today, uh, most luxury products are, are kind of available everywhere at all times with the in, in in this digital era that we live um so for me it's it's more about a relationship between price and quality um more and more people can afford luxury items um but but the key to this is the quality and to keep the the quality level as well as representing um the right values and, and act in a responsible way as a luxury brand. Yes. Are you selling exclusively, whether if it's not direct to consumer, is it through more traditional, I guess, wholesale channels? Or are you, I when you said luxuries everywhere, um, I, I am seeing more and more luxury platforms or marketplaces pop up and the same brands and products repeat it quite a lot. Are you also linking with these marketplaces? We're linking with some of them. I, I've seen in, in general um, kind of more in-depth partnership with our uh, wholesale partners. So we're not necessarily growing size in terms of number of new partners, but, but more in terms of depth. Um, 
And I think that's very important, not being too scattered through too many different um, channels and, and um, shops, both, both online and offline. Um, so, so we do see a great opportunity to um, expand our brand recognition through some of these partners, whether they are, are digital or whether they are physical. Tell me some of those uh, physical partners. Uh, who are they and why do they make sense for you? So we have in, in the Asia region, for example, a great partnership with Lane Crawford, both in out of Hong Kong and in, in mainland China. Um, but at the same time, we are just launching now with Neda Bote in China um, and have some, some great um, uh, partnerships there whilst we, in parallel, build our own uh, channel through uh, Tmall and, and WeChat and so forth. So it's a great way for us to, to build partnerships in also uh, uh, China is fairly new to us uh, in a new market to gain market share and to create that brand recognition and, and volume. Um, we have also launched with S24, which is, is you know, a, a great uh, marketplace um, based out of, of Paris uh, and are seeing very good traction there. Um, so, so different um, new players uh, that we are working with on, on top of our more traditional wholesale partners, for example, in the US, great partnership with Neiman Marcus, uh, with Noda Operandi, um, and, and some exclusive um, multi-brand name stores. We'll be right back after this quick break. Is being a global luxury brand, uh, do you see like the modern take as maybe you don't necessarily have feet on the ground or um, your your staff or um, a headquarters in these international cities, but it's more so about linking with the right partners or at least out of the gate? That's that's the go-to-market plan? Absolutely. So it, it's selecting not too many partners in the different uh, parts of the world, but, but the right one. And then, as I say, work in depth with them and use their local expertise um, in terms of how to, to gain um, markets uh, and, and brand recognition, uh, as well as sales. Well, it seems like you've navigated uh, the last year and a half pretty darn well um, in terms of uh, finding workarounds, the delivery service, the Hero app. What's been your, has, has the last year and a half changed your uh, approach or what you believe about physical retail. Um, I think you were in expansion mode um, last Glossy connected with you or, um, and I don't honestly know if that was in the States or, or internationally as well, but um, are you expanding, looking to open more physical retail or has your, have you changed your mind? No, we're, we're definitely looking at expanding. Um, I believe when we spoke last, uh, we had opened our flagship store on Madison Avenue that kind of had been uh, the proven concept of how we want to create experiential retail environments um, in different key cities, both in the US and abroad. Um, I see the retail environment being much more of, of a kind of um, showcase and we call it a, a kind of gallery style shopping environment. Um, we have a, a wonderful artist in residence um, um, foundation that we launched um, two years ago where we are working with artists that actually work out of the 
the store or out of the atelier, engage with the consumer, we can personalize and we can show uh, great new innovative ways of working with our products. Um, and that engagement and that atelier feel is, is very important for us uh, to really tell our full story. How we expand that internationally depends. Um, we're doing quite a few pop-up, um, both in Asia uh, as well as in Europe, to test different markets. Um, and that can then uh, develop into more permanent ateliers or, or workshops uh, locally. Does the trunk show the trunk show model work for you? The trunk show model has worked absolutely. Um, also with some of our our partners, um, what has worked very well uh, as well are selective, exclusive, limited editions. Um, we launched a, a wonderful um, eighteen forty five mini trunk in limited editions in Asia uh, last autumn right during the pandemic and, and it did fantastic. Um, and again, it brings me back to that desire that we see from that elite customer who wants a, uh, who wants a special one of a kind piece um, and who is excited to, to get ownership of such. Um, so that's definitely something we will continue doing. Let's talk about men's. What was the opportunity you saw for for the male shopper uh, to come to Mark Cross? Were you seeing demand? Were they uh, eyeing the women's bags? <laughs> Good question. So as you may know, the, the Mark Cross brand originally was much more male-driven than, than female, actually. Um, so we feel that, that really within our DNA, we have a complete uh, right and opportunity to develop the men's. And I do see today in the marketplace a, a kind of a white spot uh, within that um, male's uh, demand, uh, you need functionality to be built into the product. Um, you need the quality and, and you know, our, our general values of the brand. Um, but the functionality part is really important. Um, and we see more and more a unisex approach, especially from Asian men, um, that will be wearing what we in the U.S. may call uh, women's bags or versions of women's bags um, and are very excited to kind of merge that and, and have that diversity um, across our men's and women's uh, product categories. Yes. Can we expect further category expansion from the brand? Absolutely. So, so as I said in the beginning, we are looking at, at very much the opportunity of this American uh, luxury lifestyle positioning. Uh, we have been launching soft categories. We're going more and more into becoming a true gifted dis gifting uh, destination. So our price pyramids are, are catering to that, starting at uh, $250 upwards. Uh, so it's within games, it's within a great essential collection that we have launched, especially during the pandemic with uh, specific um, sanitizer holders uh, and mask, mask purses that you can put into your handbag. Um, so I'm really looking at, at you know, interesting, uh, innovative products that also cater and are relevant to the consumer right now. Speaking of launches, uh, so in addition to men's, you also relaunched 
Um, I think it was an iconic bag. And I think that it was around $2,700, $2,800 during the pandemic. I was just reading about it. Um, why then? And yeah, what was your strategy there? That, that was, I, I think you are referring to that mini trunk 1845 uh, that came out in, in that lim that. Li limited, yeah. limited editions, but it is now part of our core collection. Um, and again, we, we see no price resistant for the right quality and for the, the product that really has that uh, timelessness um, and, and true value. Um, and I think that is what is so exciting about the, the era that we live in right now is that, that the luxury consumer is really somehow to a greater and greater extent really appreciating that quality value proposition that, that we have. Um, hence, it is so key that we, that we stick to that and that we, as we have for the past 175 years, continuously protect uh, the the constant innovation and um, quality of our products. So so as you know, all our products are handcrafted in um, in Italy. Yes. Have you raised your prices? I'm hearing that many luxury brands are, and I'm also hearing from direct to consumer brands that um, supply chain issues are really forcing those those spike uh, price spikes. Um, what's been your take? to enlarge our our price uh, permit proposition so so as i said uh, in some cases start with lower entry price points uh, for smaller items but then on the other uh, side of the scale increase um, uh, you know with limited editions or very specific handcrafted one of a kind. Uh, we have a, a, a wonderful collection at the moment uh, with hand-painted uh, bags by artisans in Italy um, that are very unique and you know that really doesn't have any any price resistance to it because it is a piece of art. So, so at both sides of the price pyramid, we we um, we see really no limitation. Is it important in marketing to really call out the brand's heritage? Um, does your does that work to sell the brand as every brand is really um, looking to tell a brand story? Do you really zero in on that? Very much so. And, and I think we are, we are very fortunate to have an authentic story to, to tell. You know, we, we don't have to make anything up. Um, what I do find uh, is always the, the very important part when you especially revive and, and reposition a heritage brand is to find that uh, balance between uh, talking about your, your unique history, but in a relevant way for the consumer uh, out there now. Um, so you don't want to sound like a history book, uh, but, but right. find ways of uh, engaging emotionally with the consumer whilst you're telling your story and, and offer a product uh, that is uh, aspirational and uh, attractive to them uh, to buy today. That makes sense. Well, tell me about, you've been in the industry, luxury industry, 25 years. Is it fair to say that luxury has been slow to evolve? And do you think that's all changed, that's gone out the window uh, in the last 18 months or so? I think definitely the the um, the situation, both of the because of the pandemic, but more because of the digital era, has um, uh, required a a different uh, speed 
also from the more established uh, luxury heritage brands, um, but in a good way. Um, and I think uh, the way that we need to, uh, as an industry within the luxury segment, to understand how we now act fast in a respectful way, um, also uh, from a sustainable angle, um, is very important. Um, and, and we should take a, a leading position in this. Hence why we and Mark Cross um, have launched the, the Vintage website. Um, we have done a couple of other great initiatives that we are testing at the moment. So we have hooked up with a company called True Twins, uh, that is um, a, a digital partner implementing a chip in all of our products so that we, we and our consumers can trace the product uh, using blockchain technology. Um, so even if the product changes hands and are resold, uh, the, the digital passport of True Twins will be handed over to the new consumer. Um, so we are, we are working with, with different entities to prove that we are working hard on uh, giving the best possible transparency to how a product is made and if its life cycle uh, we got last year, uh, also during the pandemic, which was very ex exciting, the Butterfly Mark certificate, uh, which you may have heard about, um, comes from, from a company called Positive Luxury that comes in and do kind of a health check on um, how a brand is, uh, is sourcing, but also are sociably uh, responsible. Um, and that's something that we now use uh, in the way to market ourselves as well. So these different partners um, are ways for us to, um, as a, a modern luxury company, uh, give transparency to the consumer. So that um, traceability that's providing um, transparency to your supply chain, um, is that chip also working to combat... I, this is very top of mind. I'm working on a podcast, I guess, series on on the counterfeiting issue in fashion. Um, but are, is that has that been a problem for Mark Cross as well um, in terms of yeah what people are reselling or or just in general? I I think it's it's um, a problem that all successful um, luxury brands have. Um, so the True Twins uh, digital passport is very much um, also. Um, proving the provenance of the product um, and authenticating it. Um, so that is definitely something that we are making part of our uh, consumer-centric uh, digital-first strategy that we are uh, executing. Well, last question for you. Tell me about your specific goals for the year. We are halfway through 2021. Uh, where does the business stand and where do you hope for it to land at the end of the year? Well, we want to get back to the to the 2019 numbers, um, and and are well on our way to to get there. Um, and then we are very focused on enlarging our uh, customer communities uh, and engaging. Um, I mentioned our our artist in residence program, which is very exciting. Working some with some wonderful young talents. Um, that enable us also to engage with uh, a, a new audiences. 
and other ways supporting charities and supporting other venues that we can also to to enlarge the communities so I would say those two, of course, the numbers are important and, and getting back to the 19 volumes as well as enlarging our com communities uh, are the two main goals this, uh, this year. Yes, I lied. One more question. Tell me about that um, connecting with that community or building that community. Um, does the old, I guess, traditional kind of clienteling model, um, you mentioned the Hero the Hero app and how you're working with, with online customers, but is, is traditional, I guess, clienteling as we would think of it um, still happening and is that important? I think it's very important to be able to service the consumer uh, where the 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 consumer requires it um, uh, and that can be physically or, or digitally uh, so it's it's up to us to be able to do that 24 7 also across time zones uh, and give the best possible uh, customer service uh, hence using these different uh, partnerships to to um, to get there um, but also inside culturally, and, and that's why I'm, I mentioned the consumer-centric uh, digital first strategy that, that kind of was a strategic roadmap that we did during COVID uh, to really understand how uh, as do we assure that everything we do uh, becomes about servicing the customer um, where, where they want and when they want. Right on. Well, Ulrich, this has been a, an enjoyable conversation. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.